Magic of the Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have more eclectic conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. On today's episode, I have a solo episode for you about why Monarch, because it is not my real or like, it's not my given last name. It is a chosen last name. I shouldn't use the word real because it is real. It is my name. I identify with it, but it is one that I gave myself. And I also had a mystical experience with Monarch Butterflies as a kid that has greatly influenced my life and continues to be a important and soulful metaphor for me. So in case you're new here, I'm an astrologer. This podcast um, is mostly comprised of interviews and we talk about astrology, but other things too. Um, anything about spirituality and personal development. I write weekly astrology forecasts at monarchastrology.com and I now share video versions of them to YouTube. You can find me there, Sabrina Monarch. I've been meaning to share this story with you about the monarch butterflies for some time. So here we are. I hope that you enjoy. I'm sitting down to share a story that is pretty close to me. It's part of my personal mythos, I would say. It's why monarch butterflies why the name Monarch. So in addition to sharing a mystical experience from early life and kind of what series of events unfolded as a result, and then the value of changing my name, I really um, have had a good experience when it comes to name changing. So I just want to talk about that. Um, And so yeah, I'll get into it. Essentially, it begins as a kid when I was eight and nine years old. I don't really remember how it began, but at some point I was completely obsessed and in love with butterflies. And honestly, I just don't remember how it started. But I do remember collecting butterfly things, being gifted things with butterflies on them and doing research on the internet or like in encyclopedias about butterflies. I thought as a career aspiration that I could be like a butterfly scientist, a lepidopterist. I I don't know how to pronounce it right now off the top of my head. But yeah, I just was completely devoted and single-pointedly obsessed. And through this love of butterflies, um, I, I grew up with such amazing grandparents and my grandpa took me out one afternoon to teach me how to catch butterflies. And basically it involves catching them with your thumb and forefinger when their wings are closed, when they've landed on a flower and inching toward them in slow motion and catching them. And that day that we went out, we caught a beautiful black butterfly. And I don't remember which one of us caught it, but 
my grandpa had brought like a mason jar and we put the butterfly in the jar along with some leaves and flowers and went back to my grandparents' house. And over the course of the next few hours, the butterfly seemed really sad. Like it seemed um, lifeless, like it wasn't really moving. And I started to feel really bad. And um, I brought the butterfly outside with my grandma and grandpa and we waited um, for it to fly away. And my grandparents thought that it was really sweet. Like they were very touched of, you know, me setting the butterfly free, but I did at that time actually feel pretty bad. Like I didn't mean to, it's so interesting. It's very archetypal, right. To pick a flower or something and to kill the flower by picking it. And we pick flowers all the time, but there is that sense of the, you know, if something's beautiful, that desire to possess it. And with the butterfly, I just didn't realize until we took it home that it wasn't going to be happy, that it wasn't just going to be my pet or something like that. So we let the butterfly go. But that kind of began my practice of catching butterflies and then immediately letting them go. And I'll come back to that. I'll just say that in addition to, um, you know, where I was at at that time in my life, still, you know, eight or nine, I researched butterflies and would look at posters of like the different species. And I had identified tiger swallowtails and monarchs as my favorite for whatever reason. They were just my favorite. So every day I would catch these butterflies outside of my house, these little brown skipper butterflies that are kind of like the size of your thumb, your thumbnail, but a little bit bigger, depending on how big your thumb is. But um, they're little babies. They're so cute. And for months and months, I caught countless butterflies because I spent a few hours a day doing it, catching them, letting them go, catching them, letting them go. So who knows? I could have caught hundreds, maybe thousands for all the amount of time that I was spending with them. I would do it at school too, like at lunch, um, if there were flowers that those skipper butterflies were hanging out by. And sometimes after catching them and I'm like holding them in between my thumb and forefinger, I would just like look at their faces and just love them so much. Like I felt like this like psychedelic connection with them or something that is, you know, maybe if you have memories as a kid of playing with insects or something that you, you can feel into that psychedelic union that can be felt with the natural world as a child. And after some months of doing this every day, I was outside playing with my friend. We were hula hooping and my friend went inside to use the bathroom. And while she was inside, the entire monarch migration came flying down my street. And this was unusual because the nearest migration site was around an hour away by car. And the monarchs had never come to our town any other year, let alone, 
navigate through the maze of the suburbs to visit me right at my house while I was outside. So it was this absolutely incredible moment. And then after like every last monarch butterfly trailed off the street, my friend came outside and I was like, you'll never believe what just happened. And she like literally didn't believe me. Um, I told her, I was like, I swear. And she was like, it, we're told at church that it's wrong to swear. And I remember like just in my kid brain, like not even really knowing how to respond to that. And anyway, other people did see the monarch butterflies. It was written about in the local paper. So it wasn't like an, a hallucination or something like that. It was real. But for whatever reason, it was time to be this private experience at that moment just for me. And I continued for some time after that, maybe just a couple of months to continue this love that I had of butterflies. But I did have a distinct kind of renunciation um, that happened several months later, which was a result of starting to feel embarrassed um, at the reflections that I was getting from the world around me of this obsession that I had. Because for me, being obsessed with butterflies was not something that I chose. Like it wasn't like an idea of like, I'm going to pick something to care about and focus on so intensely. Like it was just natural for me. It wasn't thought out at all. And because of that, it didn't strike me as particularly unusual to be obsessed or to be completely consumed or fascinated with one thing. But as the time went on of like getting all these butterfly themed gifts or people kind of like either like lovingly or not lovingly teasing me about this love that I had, I started to become self-conscious or self-aware that there was something unusual about the degree of my fascination. So I decided to stop and kind of inform people of like, I'm not into butterflies anymore. Don't get me any more butterfly things like that. That's over. I was around nine at that point. Then fast forward to my freshman year of college. It was 420, as in April 20th. And I smoked a lot of weed my freshman year of college. I really did. And on 420, I wanted to get as high as possible. So I smoked all day. And at 420 p.m. on 420, I was underneath my friend's bed. Like the bed was raised. So there was like this spot underneath the bed and to hang out basically. And we were smoking out of a bong and we were just talking and, you know, my friend and I, and I got this awareness, this memory of these butterflies and the monarchs that had flown down my street. And the awareness of it was like throbbing, like strobe lights, like it was lightning in my brain. And I was so like, astounded that I had forgotten about this significant event in my childhood. How could something so significant or so profound fall into the recesses of my memory only to be now reawakened because of this psychoactive activation? 
And so my freshman year of college, I feel like in a lot of ways, I was like amped up. <laughs> like I was having tons of epiphanies all the time. I was just like always on the cutting edge. Um, it was just totally exhilarating of a year, exhilarating to be away from home for the first time, to be having all these experiences, to be in a new place. I grew up in the same house in the same town my whole life. So it was my first time like away from home and I was just having such a great time. And a lot of nights were similar to this night, not necessarily about monarch butterflies, but something would come up and my brain would be like throbbing. Like I would just be so aware of something and so intently like, you know, my life is going to change forever. Like it was such a, such a time, but I was telling my friend in that moment, like I was just like a lit, you know, is that a glow? I don't know the word. Is a lit a word? I was completely consumed with this awareness of like, I have to get a tattoo. Like I need to tattoo monarch butterflies, like all over my leg. Like I'll get them flying up my leg because I can never forget this again. So then I did get the tattoo um, that summer when I was back at home and there was actually like a pretty difficult summer in a lot of ways because I had just gone away to college. Then I was back home and I felt kind of like, you know, it's strange. I think a lot of people, um, who leave home for the first time and then come back, you know, that integration is so bizarre. So I was in that, but I did, you know, I got the butterfly tattoo and it had a really interesting effect on me because pretty shortly after the tattoo was finished, I was in a state of horror about it. Like, I can't believe I just did this. Like I started to notice the imperfections about the tattoo and just feel like, you know, what have I done? Like I just marked myself permanently. And whenever I walked around, like in the world, when I had like my leg exposed, I felt like everyone's gaze turned toward it and not in this friendly way. Like people weren't like, wow, I love your tattoo. They like, they looked kind of disturbed <laughs> and it was very, very challenging for me. And it was this weird thing of like, this is happening all over again. Like I just marked myself with butterflies and now I feel all this like weird shame around it. Like, what is this? You know, what's happening here? And that didn't necessarily get resolved in one particular moment when I went back to my college town and was back in school again. And I just kind of like the tattoo grew on me or I grew into it. And I started to get compliments on the tattoo and just started to feel, you know, like I still, I like the tattoo now, um, and have for years, but it's interesting. The tattoo, my rationale for getting it on my right leg was that my right side is dominant. So it was this message or this spell to myself of walking into life with magic at all times, never forget. And then when I started to write about astrology online and I started like a Tumblr blog to just to begin with before I even was on WordPress and built a website and all of that, 
I needed a name. So I just randomly thought monarch astrology. It wasn't, you know, super thought out or super intentional. It was just what came to mind. And then it, it's, you know, what it is today. And after, I think, I would say like around two years of writing from, you know, writing under that umbrella of monarch astrology, I had a friend who changed her name and she changed her name while we were friends. So she went from having um, her birth name to picking a name. And I was really inspired by this. As another kind of childhood story, which I think is so, this is like such an Aries thing, but I remember having a, like a distinct week. I don't know how old I was, but when it occurred to me that my parents had named me, which it's like, I probably already knew that, but it dawned on me that they named me and that we didn't live in a society where people named themselves or, you know, I didn't get to name myself. And I was so mad. I like followed my mom around the house for a week, just angry. Like, how could you name me? It's my life. I get to decide what my name is. (laughs) And I was just like very, you know, adamant or kind of like righteous about it. And it's, it makes me laugh to remember that, but you know, she did tell me when you turn 18, you can change your name if you want, but you have a name for now. It's beautiful. I love the name Sabrina. Leave me alone, basically. And, um, so then I had this friend that changed her name And this was when I was building Monarch Astrology and I was wanting to be a full-time astrologer. And I didn't feel like, you know, I love my first name, but I didn't feel like my whole name was like really like a stage name. Like I didn't feel like my name was going to take me to the destination that I wanted. So I started to think about the possibility of changing my name And Monarch, again, came up as the most viable option. It was the name of my business. And, you know, why not? So on New Year's of 2016, I officially changed my name on Facebook to Sabrina Monarch. And I did notice uh, an increase in being talked about, like in being a name that, oh, Sabrina Monarch, like as someone that people know or someone that people absorb, you know, or read the work of and talk about. And that's exactly what I was going for. And that sounds, you know, I'll just admit to stuff like that. I've been planning how to build an audience and like planning how to be a full-time astrologer. Like I do think a lot about it. It's not just something that has completely just happened. Like I've been intentioning it. So when it comes to thinking about marketing or branding or strategy, like I'm all about that. So having a name that has more like wind in its sails was something that was really important to me. And I really enjoyed the romance of self-naming and of having this, having a name that had this deeper sense to it than, you know, the name that I was given at birth for me. 
So to come back to the story of the butterflies swarming my street that year that I was obsessed with them and that I spent all this time catching them. That has always been a metaphorical story to me in so many different ways that I can spin. Recently at the Fresh Voices in Astrology Summit, that was one of the first times that I really shared this story like to an audience. And I spoke about it in connection with karma and cause and effect and how the way that I see karma is so not about punishment. It's not about... Um, yeah, being punished for doing bad things or karma's a bitch. Like it's not that to me. Karma is the way that this reality is interconnected and responsive and that all of our actions have a ripple effect. And when it comes to personal development and spiritual development and working with astrology, a lot of it is understanding what your patterns are and what the consequences of those patterns are. And then how you respond to those consequences, which creates, you know, a, a wheel in a sense of self-perpetuating experiences. And that when you become aware of this wheel that you're on, you can choose new actions and set into motion different consequences and have new experiences. You can also become more aware of the types of consequences that come with certain actions, and you can choose to be more intentional as a result the more that you learn, the more that you study cause and effect. Cause and effect has this association with wisdom. It's all Saturn, cause and effect, karma, wisdom. These are all kind of Saturnian themes. And so the idea that spending all this time with butterflies, one-on-one, catching one butterfly at a time, resulting in this whole monarch migration flying down my street has always felt to me symbolic of cause and effect and the way that so many times in life I've wanted something so badly and I've pushed for it and I've done all these things to bring it into my experience. And then when it finally comes, it's such a wave, like it's so powerful that it's almost overwhelming. That happened a lot, I think, when I was younger and not as aware of the stuff that I was playing with because I've always been playing with energy and you know, I would do things like when I was younger, I, I would write in journals. And sometimes if I didn't like what I wrote, I would sharpie it out in black and I would rip it up or I would burn it. And this kind of violent experience that I would have with my own writing wasn't just like any kind of happenstance affair. <laughs> like usually it had consequences. Um, that I didn't realize that I was doing witchcraft or doing magic by burning something. And so something would happen and I would be kind of surprised and rattled like, oops, like maybe I need to be a little bit more careful about my vibe and my energy and what I'm putting off. And same thing with going for things in life. And there's a way that there's like cause and effect and timing that things can take time in this reality. And so I would have the experience of pushing for something or trying to make something happen. And then when it finally did come, just being like, whoa, I did not have to push this hard. Like I could have taken it easy. And this happens too with like 
a lot of my desires, like when I've experienced longing, it's like years of this painful kind of longing for wanting a particular kind of experience. And then it happens and I'm completely flooded. So as I started to notice that this was an energetic, um, I kind of prepared my nervous system for it differently and started to think of small experiences as fractals of bigger ones. And so if I desire to feel like this romantic kind of love with all of life and to feel romantic in my perception, to feel dreamy, to feel enchanted and to have that be an overarching mood of my experience, then if I drop into that feeling state with very small moments in life, in these fractal moments, then not only am I preparing myself for that wave, but I'm conditioning myself for what it's going to feel like in the smallest of moments. A lot of the manifestation teachings that have really influenced my thinking and my worldview speak of the way that we can follow our highest excitement or tune in with our joy frequently, often. To get into that vortex is like an Abraham Hicks word for it where you're in a high vibrational state just because you find the way to get there. And that by virtue of being in that space frequently, conditioning your reality around it, that it informs the fruits of your karmas and things happen in your experience that reflect that feeling state that you've been beating the drum of. So of course this can happen unintentionally when we have patterns or things that we do day in and day out that don't necessarily resonate with us or aren't necessarily coming from our higher self. And it does create a wave of a consequence of some kind. And I think that for me with the butterflies, like I said, every time I caught this one, you know, skipper butterfly and was like looking at it, I was just in complete like rapturous joy as a like eight and nine year old kid hanging out with butterflies. Like it wasn't, anything planned out. It wasn't intentional per se. It was just instinctual love and instinctual fascination. And there's an innocence to that. When it comes to manifestation, there is a side of it that is about not being attached to getting any particular result that if you just feel joy for the sake of itself and that you tune into that vibration, then you'll be in this flow of reality that's really beautiful and inherent and joyful. But if you're accessing high frequency states to, you know, manipulate a certain response from reality, it has a little bit of a different quality to it. And actually, I mean, I don't even think it's bad to have, you know, the ambition to raise your vibration and be happy more often because you know that it will have a positive effect. It's not bad, but there's a quality of like a play or an innocence of finding joy where it exists for the sake of itself without the agenda that I think also has a kind of magic. And because this is part of my worldview and something that you know, I don't feel like I could separate myself from, not that I would even really want to, 
Like it's just such a deep part of me, this sense that the things that we do day in and day out, the little microscopic moments are gathering honey of the invisible. And so each mundane little moment can be a prayer or can be a way of connecting with some kind of transcendent possibility in the future. And while there is the possibility of getting into, you know, changing your frequency right away, alchemizing your experience immediately and entering a different state, there are some things in this reality that take time to build. There's different perspectives on this and different ways, you know, like sometimes if we do really identify with something being hard and taking time and it has to be strived for, then sometimes it can take longer than when we believe that we can just enter into a frequency and be there immediately. I don't have an opinion that is starkly either one, because I think that there's a lot of variety in this reality. And there are certain things when I think about timelines, like when I think about experiences in this incarnation that I desire to have that haven't happened yet, it's like, it is almost more useful or more relatable for me to consider it on a timeline and to know that it's coming and to know that I'm connecting with it in these fractal microscopic moments that are symbolic of this hole or this flood or this wave. And for whatever reason, that I don't think is that hard to, to make the connection, but it brings me a sense of peace and elevation in small moments because I trust that it is a fabric of something much larger and that there's a connection between the micro and the macro. And this all comes from a whole migration of monarchs coming down my street in this kind of magical, serendipitous way when I was nine years old. As far as changing my name and thinking about the qualities of that, I don't necessarily think that everyone should change their name or that everyone is even attracted to the idea. But I just wanted to put it out there as something that, you know, because when I had a friend who changed her name or when I read, you know, Gala Darling's book, Radical Self-Love, and she talked about how she changed her name. Like it was hearing how other people did it that really gave me this idea of like, oh, I could do that too. And I like having a name that I've picked for myself. I like the act of personal creation or authoring oneself or creating oneself or creating one's life. Like all of that is like what I do for fun and is such an Aries kind of thing, the constant state of becoming. To me, the monarch has a double meaning too, where it's the butterfly, but there's also that idea of royalty that comes through with monarch. And royalty as an archetype really fascinates me because I think of astrology and having a personal mythos and having a personal relationship with astrology and knowing what your chart says about you bestows a feeling of royalty. It doesn't if you think your chart is a map of how fucked up you are and like a confirmation of your badness and what's wrong with you, then 
then you're pinpointing, like you're taking the cosmos and like threading it through this really small perspective that is poking you. I don't see the point of that. It is something though, that, um, there is an anxiety at the start of an astrology practice. It's like really common of like, how does my chart confirm like what's wrong with me? And here I am kind of like criticizing that, but I did have times. I just got to go through it earlier. It was like in high school, Googling things and being like, wow, like my life is doomed. Like I'm a tragic character and just kind of like feeding into that. But when you approach the natal chart and this cosmic map from this perspective of trust in the universe and faith in yourself and trust that things that you came through, you were born, you were incarnated at just the right moment and that there is a divine intelligence or there's a purpose to your chart. I think that it does open up this sense of royal inheritance. Like the soul has gifts and talents and innate capacities and that has an, a sense of royalty, I think. Astrological knowledge is also a privilege, I think, when it comes to the history, the origins of astrology. There were times in history where only monarchs, only royalty had their chart, their natal chart read. And now astrology is so widespread and there's so much more accessibility to it. I think there are still initiations that need to be had or studying formally, um, working with actual astrologers or practice and studied astrologers to enter into that world. I still think that's important, but it's available, that inheritance, that royalty of self-knowing or self-gnosis through the chart is available. And so when it came to naming monarch astrology, I wanted to have that quality of this magical experience that is close to me and this sense of royalty from knowing the self. Thank you for listening and thank you for the feedback that some of you have shared about the solo episodes. It definitely is encouraging because when you get on the mic and just talk by yourself, it's a very interesting experience. I've grown to really like it, but it's nice to know that you guys like listening to these episodes. And I mean, in some ways I'm an open book and I like to share. So I'm glad that I get to do this here and just have a way to share soulful things with you guys, whether that's in the interviews or the astrology forecasts or getting to be more personal. It's really a pleasure to do that. So if you've been enjoying this podcast, I would love to read your review. If you leave a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes and take a screenshot before you click submit and email it to me at sabrina at monarchastrology.com, I'll send you a gift. Yes, that gift is ready. I have been talking about it for quite a while, so I'm very happy that it is now ready. This gift is a resource library containing several videos around the theme of creating and elevating your reality. 
I started to value this line of thinking, creating one's own reality as a way to rewire my brain away from chronic depression and seeing the results, these changes in my life that came from shifting my perception and making choices from that new perception feels nothing short of miraculous. There are times to go into your descent or feel your feelings through, and there are also times you may want to intentionally uplift or intentionally cultivate a dream into reality, and that's what these videos are to help with. No downloading is necessary. You can watch the videos right in the library. So I would love to share this with you. Go ahead and review this podcast and send me the screenshot of your review, and I will send that your way. Thank you so much for listening and I hope that you have a beautiful week.